Hey, 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 it's March 16th. March 16th in Arizona at uh, 8.15 in the morning. 62 degrees. It's going to start getting warmer here. Today's high will be 77. Current dew point, 61. Humidity, 35%. So, the title of this podcast is the developmental edit. How about that? What is what am I talking about? Well, I've had a couple of weeks now or no, I've had actually no, it's not a couple. It's one week already. And I I kind of have dabbled with it. Of course I'm busy with stuff. But um I had someone who's a professional writer which I am not. And they um read my manuscript, first draft, what have you, and provided comments. So, of course, probably likely all would be, or all writers would be authors. I'm not an author yet. I'm just a writer. I'm just a freaking lonely writer. One that's walking his dog, Bud, right now. I'm walking Bud on a Saturday morning, 62 degrees sunny Arizona got a cloud in the sky probably about 400 miles from Laguna Beach and the home of Rick Warren's Saddleback Church I'm so irreverent I've got a beautiful view it's not of an ocean but some rocky mountains or rocky hills let's say so it's a pretty good view looking out over the uh, Indian Reservation very spiritual concept the Indian Reservation. Not like waves and sand on the ocean where you just make shit up about the world. <laughs> and making shit up is part of the theme of uh, this podcast. And I'm not angry. I guess, I mean, maybe I sound angry. But, uh, yeah, the conclusion is I've just got to write better, people. I have got to write better because... I got, you know, let's call it challenging feedback. And I haven't even, I haven't even fully studied every stinking comment. But the ones I have seen, I'm not real pleased with. And my personality is to argue, of course. And one good thing about the podcast is I don't have to argue because... I don't have to deal with anybody. I'm just walking the dog, right? Bud, and we don't eat Bud, you and I don't argue. No, Bud, you're you're a pretty easy guy to to uh talk to because we just walk. And the closest thing we come to an argument is if you know you're trying to eat something that I don't think you should eat and I kinda of pull you away from it. And and you don't put up too much of a fight, Bud. <laughs> And I don't know who's been listening to this. It's weird, this uh, Anchor FM podcasting thing. Uh, it's super easy to do a podcast. You just plug your earbuds in. and, Well, in my case, you just go walk the dog. And, uh, and then it pops up there. And for some reason, I had like 25 to 30 listeners on some of these podcasts. And now it's like three, two. It's like... I don't know what happened. I don't know if people just like stumbled on it 
and just uh, listened to it for 30 seconds and dumped it. And I don't really care because I don't, I'm doing this for myself. So I'm processing, I'm processing my thoughts. I think I have one listener, well, the main listener that I'm probably doing it for. She can get insight into my crazy thinking. But um, basically the bottom line is up to me. I have to write better and I have to be more convincing, to be more thorough. My initial ticked offness is I want someone to read it and be like, this is a great message, this is a great story. Yes, it needs to be refined, but it's an awesome, awesome book concept, right? It's not a book yet because I haven't written it, but I mean, it hasn't been finished. It hasn't been, you know, well, it's been developmental edit, but the, I guess all the developmental edit does is just rip it apart and tells you where to fix it. And so now I got to go do that for the next probably 10 days. And I got to really focus and work hard at something like this. And the first draft was uh, hard. It was, it just seemed hard to get it out. I mean, the process was pretty good. Once I started doing these Pomodoro things were amazing. Just hit a timer for 25 minutes and focus. Maybe I'll have to try to apply that to the editing phase. I'm not sure if I can do that or not, but I'll try. But the fun stuff is, is I like to argue, right? So, um, I commented to the people helping me edit this thing because I've never met this person that did the developmental edit. But um, I realized, you know, I, I, if I talked to the person and tried to talk them through it, it wouldn't matter. I mean, their job was just to flat out kind of rip on it, put it in some shape to it, and, and I'll probably see the beauty of what they did. I just haven't gotten there yet because I... The first thing I do is I look at it. Well, where's the criticism, right? Where's the, where's the, where does this person find fault with it? And um, so the danger for me is to get all wrapped around the axle on the criticism instead of the bigger picture, which is just write better and get the message out better. Because maybe if I do a better job of writing, then she won't be. Um, she won't. She'll see what I'm trying to get at. And she'll maybe be convinced after I write it. But she, you know, my, talking to me doesn't help anyone become convinced because I'm relentless. So I will look at their face, look them in the eye, and just be relentless at not backing down from my positions. So usually, you know, people will, probably more people will just like acquiesce and go, okay, this, this guy's not letting go of this thing. And I may not agree with them, but I'm just going to just let it go. So talking it through doesn't, isn't going to help me with them trying to get a book out. And I, I guess it's the, uh, the pod walking dog podcast is helping me process, helping me think through things in the same way trying to write this, this book is doing the same thing. Because I, I do have things to say, and I guess this helps me in speaking as well, too, because I kind of want people to get it right away. And I want people like, well, what do you mean, what do you, mean you, don't, you, you don't get what I'm saying? You know, it's like, I just want people to get it. What am I trying to say? And in speaking and discussion, that's okay, because I can try something out, try to say something, and 
communicate something and I get feedback and if I if I don't if I don't get it then I can try another angle and I can just verbally try to just keep at it until I I strike a chord where they understand and go oh okay okay I see what you're saying but in a book you can't do that unfortunately so I will have to work hard at it but just to let go of some stress on my part um you know, I did a little research and like some, some of my book is kind of, well, actually most of my book is criticizing other books or, or just the main book that pissed me off was this guy named David Platt and his radical book. And, and it just the tone of his book and the way he communicated and the, my pet peeve is the, oh, well, we have to do this, and, and we don't do this enough, and, and we, 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 and, I, and it's like, I, I couldn't electronically count it, but he probably has, what, 50,000 words in his book, and he probably uses we about a thousand times, and it's just annoying for someone to, the, the term that's come up in the last couple of years is virtue signal. So here you've got people in the church, basically they're just virtue signaling what other people should do. And it, it's like, it's, that's not the message of the scripture. The message of the scripture is God is alive and we all have our unique gifts, life circumstances, and God's with us right now. Like right now I'm walking bud on the sidewalk. And God is with me. He's with me as I do this podcast. And uh, so, yeah, I criticize things. And there was a guy named Rick Warren who wrote a book, 40 Days of Purpose. You know, a lot of churches got the book. And it was like New York Times bestseller, millions of books, blah, blah, blah. You know, and so I, I went through that. And there's some good things in there, I guess. But... And maybe, maybe there's wonderful things in there. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But uh, it still implies that, you know, just do read this book for 40 days, man, and your life will change. Oh, yeah. 40 days is, oh, yeah, you need to do this for 40 days. Oh, because, you know, Jesus was over in had 40 days in the wilderness. Oh, Rick. Oh, you really stumbled onto something. Rick, you you did the 40 days of purpose. Oh, Rick. So, we're so indebted to you, Rick. And it's like, no, it's 40 nanoseconds of purpose. You don't need the book. You don't need to read this book for 40 days and get your purpose. You just need to live now, live today, live in the moment. You don't know. I mean, there's the one scripture that says in James, like, don't say like, oh, we're going to go move here and do this and do that and make a profit. Because you don't know what your life will hold tomorrow. So don't, don't wait 40 days to get your purpose. You have your purpose right now. You're listening to this podcast. <laughs> and I'm telling you. You've got all your purpose that you need right now. You got your purpose. Just 
Ah, breathe in. Live. Live in the moment. And we're always tempted to live outside the moment, right? Worry. Oh, worry, yes. Yes, let's live outside the moment. We're tempted to live outside the moment. And if I want to be mean, which... I don't know, I guess I am mean. I guess I'm a mean person. And I don't have any blue bags because someone didn't leave the bag thing open. And here comes a bicyclist, bud. So, yeah, I mean, my uh, developmental editor likes to write fiction. And so I just kind of like, who, who is this person, right? So, again, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't. I shouldn't study the person that's criticizing me just to like try to win points and stuff but I'm not doing it I, I you know maybe she listens to this I don't know maybe because her friend you know they're help they're trying to help me right so don't, don't 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 rip on the people trying to help you right Mike but <laughs> I don't know they're not the only ones listening to the podcast so so you know Fiction books, fiction, that's a lot of skill to write fiction, right? I mean, you basically have to create people uh, in, in words and writing and describe and, and present characters to people, right? So, you know, I, and I know I've been accused of like, well, you can't read people's minds, Michael, you know? And of course I don't, I don't. I, I look at behavior. It's like every human does this, you know. You look at behavior, observe, and you draw conclusions. And I, they may not be 100% right, but I, what, I think what really pisses people off is I, maybe this is it. It's like you can observe people's behaviors and you can infer what people think by their behavior and they don't like it, right? I mean... I mean, if now that I think about it, if if you observe someone and they really don't want to be, let's say, selfish or arrogant or um, just have some kind of characteristic that's not always pleasant and they don't want to present that or they don't want the reality to be that they're arrogant because someone perceives them as arrogant then then the defense mechanism is to say oh well you can't read my mind right right so someone displays a a behavior of arrogant and if you comment on it uh, a really poor a poor defense of that is to say oh I'm not arrogant. Do you think you can read my mind? Oh my. Oh my. Let's let's keep deluding ourselves that we don't display outward appearances of arrogance or selfishness or whatever human characteristics that we all have anyways. But anyway, so we we do the image thing. Ironically, this uh, developmental editor is from the, the land of the image, Southern California. 
Orange County, right? <laughs> and with uh, and and then moved to the Midwest. So maybe that was the clarifying moment. Going to the Midwest is the clarifying moment, which Minnesota is also the Midwest, which is quite different than its neighboring state of Wisconsin, which is different than its neighboring state of Illinois, which is different than its neighboring states of Indiana, which is different than the neighboring state of Michigan. They all have a culture. No culture is better than another. So, except for Arizona, yay. I just thought of it. Yeah, we're the best because we are just a scorched earth land. This is the the best place to be. The scorched earth, the melting pot, the people from all over the country, New Yorkers. We got some New Yorkers out here. We've got the Midwest. We even have those Minnesota nice people here. Yes, yes, we've got it all. And we even get California people here who are like sick of the BS that Rick Warren has promoted for two decades and didn't do a damn thing to change it. Oh, oh, oh. oh, I'm so critical of Rick Warren. Whoa, not beloved Rick. So whatever, he's got his pedestal and thing and that's fine, good for him. But has California changed in 20 years? Eh, maybe a few people. And that's all the hope there is really, probably it's just individuals changing. So there's a lot of good people in Saddleback Church, I'm sure, and so forth. But they don't need 40 days of purpose. They just need 40 nanoseconds of purpose. Okay, And that's pretty much just acknowledging that there's a living God. There's a living God right now, and you can engage through the Holy Spirit with the living God and having more knowledge by reading a 300-page book may give you some temporary relief and encouragement, but it comes down to applying the concept of the living God and the Holy Spirit in the presence. And I don't know, maybe that's part of the book. You know, maybe we could go study the book and say, well, you know, you're not saying anything different than Rick Warren says. Well, I am. The main thing I'm saying is you don't need 40 days to figure it out. So. How's that? Oh, well, you got to develop habits. Okay, we'll start developing habits. And those habits are going to go, be, they better go beyond 40 days, dude. So, I don't know, whatever. Why Why am I criticizing that? I don't know, just because I'm feeling like taking pot shots at somebody that criticized me or something. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't even publish this ranting podcast. Um, but it's, I'm doing it because I, feel better doing it and uh, I got to get to work <laughs> but I got other stuff to do too I got I hate doing taxes I got to do taxes I got to do um, some planning some um, work travel personal travel planning scheduling getting flights for things and I'll do it it'll probably, it'll probably only take four minutes of purpose to do it and uh, you know get on southwest and schedule the flights yeah the other one might take a little longer because I gotta do some hotels and maybe a rental car and and so forth so um, 
Hey, bud, what's up? Oh, yeah, let's go, bud. Oh, dog in the cage, bud. Or dog behind the fence. Yeah, that one kind of, it's kind of snippy, isn't it? Oh, yeah, you're, you're good, bud. So what else? Yeah, you can't, you can't know that, can you? You can't know that. Well, I gotta have to deal with it. I'm just gonna have to, I'm gonna have to say, look, this is what I observed. Back to Platt, that's maybe a better one to talk about. Cause Platt really ticked me off in his book. Just cause it's just so manipulative. It just felt like all this we stuff, we, we're materialistic, we, we this. I'm just trying to get a job, dude. <laughs> I'm not materialistic. I just want to have a job. And what I love all those political criticisms right now about things, and we have unemployment below 5%. And I'm like, wait, we got unemployment 4 or 5%. People can't hire people. They can't find talent, blah, blah, blah. It's night and day difference than Obama. I'm sorry. If you love the Obamster, he's a disaster. And then people just make excuses for him like, oh, well, he inherited that from Bush. Well, dude, how can Trump come in like in two years and just kick ass, fire the stock market up? Not because the stock market was dwindling and crushed because of some bullshit housing market thing. You know, because Obama people say, well, Obama brought the stock market from, you know, 9,000 down to like 15,000. So he did better than Trump. Yeah, well, it was it was at 15,000 when Bush was in office. So now it's 25, pal. It's a lot harder to go 25, 15 to 25 than it is from 9, 9 to 15. Okay. Oh, no, no. But see, that gets down to what your belief structure is. If you believe Obama is like the second coming of uh, retired presidents, then, then of course you're just going to praise the guy up to the yin yang for stupid stuff. But unemployment, bottom line, was terrible. Blacks were suffering under Obama with like 15% unemployment. Trumpy, after two years, has got it down to the lowest unemployment for the ancestors of slaves in, you know, 200 years. When it used to be zero unemployment for the blacks back in the 1850s. Oh my gosh, am I a racist? No, I'm not. I'm not a racist. I'm just bitching about all this social justice stuff. Anyway, it never ends. Um, Back to Platt. So he writes this book on the Great Commission, uh, which pretty much tweaked me to the point of trying to write a counter argument to this Great Commission worship. And he, uh, he has to set up a straw man argument, which is ironically my developmental editor is saying that I'm doing straw man arguments too. Well, Okay, well, I'll have to work on that because uh, <laughs> it's probably true. I don't know. It's like one person's straw man is <laughs> argument. You know, another person says, well, my straw man's really, really good straw man. Because what does a straw man have? Was it if I only had a heart or something like that? Yeah. Howdy. So the straw man argument, I think is that, no, the tin man wanted a heart. Oh yeah, straw man wanted a brain, right? Yeah. So, so one, one, one person's straw man argument is denied because 
that straw man has a, he thinks he has a brain, right? Well, I got a brain, so my straw man is pretty good. <laughs> so, so I guess that's how I feel about my straw man arguments. I'll have, to, I'll have to deconstruct it. I'll look at it. I'll fix it. I'll convert the straw man argument somehow into a solid argument, or at least one that I can defend better. So the Platt man, who I guess I can't slander, libel, get sued for, which, okay, so we'll just remove his stinking name everywhere I use it, and just say, there was a book written about the Great Commission. Yeah, that's what we'll do. And we'll put a little footnote that says, footnote number one, Radical by David Platt. So am I slandering him then? I didn't use his name. I'm just referencing a book, right? So I don't know how that's going to play out because I'm not an expert on this crap. But uh, I got to trust the community of writers, right? Of course, Paul didn't have an editor, <laughs> nor John, nor Peter, nor Luke. They just wrote, okay? So I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm writing Holy Scripture here. I'm just saying they just wrote. Sue, Sue Paul, man. Sue me when I'm dead. Yeah. Anyway, I guess, and he named names, right? So the, I guess he called out some dudes in uh, some of his letters. He, he turned someone over to Satan or something, you know? So I guess that guy just didn't have a good legal system. Where was Russell Moore and the religious liberty? Oh, that guy should have been suing Paul. Oh my God, did I just stumble on another one. So, yeah, the litigious world, legals, legal beagles. Back to Platt. So he, to me, Platt made a huge error by strawmanning the James Truslow Adams 1931 book called The Epic of America. So he quotes this guy and he basically implies that the American dream, like he wanted to, you know, he wanted to straw man this the concept of the american dream so we're all supposed to be like oh yeah the american dream we use that term so much it's the american freaking dream uh and it's so evil you know the american dream's evil and you know and i can prove it because i'm going to quote the man himself i'm going to quote james truslow adams and you know what he does i'm like okay hi i see the quote and I can sort of see how the quote um, is being implied to say that the American dream is all about materialism and, you know, just gaining wealth. And is like, it's going to have to be the antithesis to the Great Commission, right? Because that's what the book's about, right? We're going we're gonna to make the American dream evil. American dream is evil, right? And I got the quote right here from the book that defines it. And that is the straw man argument for one Dr. Platt. And so I go, I go, wait a minute, what is this book? Epic of America, what is this thing? Go to Amazon. Thank you, Jeff Bezos. Thank you, founder of Blue Origin. Thank you that he'll launch us off this planet so we can stop talking about climate change and just 
we'll just go to a new climate. We'll just go make a new climate outside the earth. How's that, people? Whoa, let's take that to the end of the game. Just get behind Jeff Bezos and we'll all just leave the earth. You don't like the earth climate? Go to Mars, baby. Elon Musk, soon, it's gonna happen soon. So stop your whinging about the planet and climate change and gases and the earth's gonna end in 12 years. AOC, baby. Yeah, it's a little political. Oh yeah. Um, what else? I did have my coffee, just like a cup maybe. But um, we're out in the desert here. We got a freeway coming in. I hope they finish it in the next 12 years because the earth's gonna end and you know, all this futile effort on the, on the road. But you know what? Every person that works on this road, every day they come out here, they come out here on March, Monday, March 18th, and start digging, moving a truck. That's value, baby. That is, that is beautiful that someone could do that. And even if AOC says the Earth's going to end in 12 years, and this road designed to last for the next 50 or 60 years, well, in hindsight, maybe it was all a waste. Damn, listen to myself. I, I guess I'm pausing to listen to myself. I'm pretty pretty snarky, I guess you'd say, yeah. But the snark's meant in love, right? So Amazon, get the book, Epic of America. I'm like, oh, interesting book, 1931. Hey, 1931, let's, let's think about history here, folks. Oh, 1931, that's like before World War II, man. Gee, I mean, that's a refreshing view of the world. So you got a review of the world from 1931 that's not polluted by um, Hitler and the Jews getting gas, six million of them, <clears throat> a little bit more than 5,000 lynch. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's put it in perspective. So um, the Epic of America talks about the the first people that came here. We forget that, we don't talk about it because our society today is not, doesn't pay any respect to history or very little. And, oh, oh, am I reading everybody's minds? No, it just seems to be the statistical observation, okay? So I'm not reading anybody's minds here. Um, it's just a statistical observation that it just doesn't seem to happen. Are there like less than a percent, the outliers who think about history? Sure. But are they influencing the rest? Probably not. So that's that. And you get the book and I start reading it. I go, hey, this book's kind of interesting. It talks about like 1600s, 1700s. Again, not polluted by World War II. The guy's got a fresh mind from 1931. Yeah, we had the Depression. It's probably written like right after the terrible depression so he's probably like hey well this looks like this american dream thing is kind of messed up because look what's going around around 1931 but he gets in there and in the, near the end of the book he's talking about this quote that comes up in platt's book and i look at it and i'm like i literally like well is it literally i don't know i it's figuratively i figuratively fell out of my chair okay Normally, people just drop into saying literally fell out of the chair. But I figuratively fell out of my chair, and I'm like, I can't believe it. The dude put a quote in his book 
left out with those ellipses, like dot, dot, dot. The key words which totally flip the meaning of the quote. So the way he quoted it makes it look like the guy is saying the American dream is about me, 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 get all you can, do this and do that. And you look at the full quote and you sit back and look at it and you go, well, wait a minute. The full quote doesn't send the same message that old platty boy is trying to send. So the ends don't justify the means here, people. You know, you may be a great commission-loving Christian, and because you had that damn thing drummed in your head, two verses in the whole damn book, and you're like building a whole life around it. Two verses, people, which are fairly questionable on several counts, which are, one, often said as the last words of Jesus to his disciples, which it wasn't because it was in Galilee, and not near Jerusalem, which we know from Luke and Acts chapter 1 is probably 90 to 100 miles away, so it can't be the last words of Jesus, even though typically, commonly quoted that way. And then you look at just, hey, let's, let's do a little editing, shall we, on Matthew. And you look at Matthew 26, 27, 28, and the flow is like an hourly basis. It's kind of like this happened, this happened. In, the, in there, Peter denies him. You know, right, 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 right. Lots of words, lots of words. Uh, crucified, lots of words, lots of words, lots of words. Buried, lots of words, lots of words. Uh, resurrected, lots of words, lots of words. Found, lots of words, lots of words. Mary, lots of words, lots of words. And then, boom, the last four verses really don't fit. I'm sorry, people. I, I'm not denying the inerrancy of the Bible. I'm just saying, take a little bit of a view of it. Because it doesn't, they just don't seem to fit. And I will grant you, okay, let's go with it. It's there. It's, it's inerrant. Okay. Jesus probably said this. He didn't say it as the last things, though. He definitely was not the last words. It's the last words in Matthew. But if you want to, you're being in, you'd being full of error if you claim that they're the last words of Jesus. They might be the last words of Matthew, which brings up the point that Matthew was written in like 70 AD. Paul wrote from 52 AD to 67, 15 years of Paul's writing. And then Matthew writes his book. And maybe it was sitting as a first draft forever. But I'm pretty sure Paul wasn't reading it. He wasn't carrying it around with him for 15 years as he actually did the Great Commission. So I suppose in summary, if you want to talk about the Great Commission, you can read Matthew. If you actually want to do the Great Commission, you need to read Paul and follow what he's doing. What does he say? What does he do? Where does he go? What happens? The dude goes to the Gentiles. The disciples, Peter and Paul and Mary, Peter, Paul, John, Ringo, singing worship songs in Jerusalem, went to the Jews. Stephen's martyred. Jews get scattered. Keep, it, keep that in mind when you're reading James. To the 12 tribes scattered. James. Look when you read the Bible. Who are they writing to? What is the context? You in the Gospels. It's Jesus talking to Jews. Most Christians today, leaders, pastors, manipulate the Gospels as if 
Jesus said a lot of things. They were recorded in 70 AD. And they have magic messages for 2019, which I think is a leap in logic. Why not just read it in the context of the times? I, I, just, I just don't believe Jesus was walking through the deserts of, uh, and the wildernesses and cities of Israel speaking out words that he's like, well, that'll be good for 2019, but these guys aren't going to get it. These guys are Jews, and they, know, they don't even get the Holy Spirit. Paul, Peter doesn't even know that I'm going to die. These guys just don't get it, and guess what? That's the way it's planned. They ain't going to get it until the Holy Spirit comes, people. And they don't. So that is the main message. You're fine. You're good. Hey, buddy. Hey, bud. A couple of good golden retrievers there. So, yeah, I'm uh, verbally dumping my my thought process on uh, the faith, I guess you'd say. And the faith as witnessed by the writings of Paul and Peter to some extent. Yeah, and John. It's there. You just, I, it's better to, to me. It's like, just we're Gentiles, people. I mean, <laughs> there's only like a half a percent of the world population that is still Jewish because of the population growth. There's seven billion people on the planet. So why the hatred for the Jews is just amazing to me. It's just whatever, but that's political. I'm not going to get into that right now. It's just, it's just weird. But um, we're Gentiles, so Paul is speaking to us. So it behooves one to really understand Paul, to really understand how did he communicate? How did he, what was he saying to these people? <laughs> was he mimicking Jesus? No. Was he... Was he saying like, you know, um, the rich young ruler? One of my pet peeve passages, which I have heard has been used to, in the discussion of tithing. Because churches need their money, baby, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, big victory that, you know, get to keep their housing allowance tax-free. Woohoo! <laughs> Gee, heaven forbid that they'd actually have to get a real job, maybe, to support themselves. Anyway, cynical, 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 right? And I guess it's the kind of questions we don't ask, we don't think about, we don't care. It's just, I don't know. And yet, the, the message is living God. And the irony of, I just asked the question, like, at church, something got into me. It was a spirit. And it's like, stand up, ask the question, and say, what will it take to leave this denomination? Not, not who wants to leave the denomination. Let's just figure out what it would cost. Because there are some ties, right? There's some financial and legal and documents and real estate involved. Real estate was purchased about 25 years ago out here in the deserts. Maybe I've heard roughly a $200,000 investment. So now the property is like worth maybe $2 million or something. And it's got a building on it that we're paying for through a mortgage. So what would the denomination feel they're entitled to? Like 
$200,000 investment plus 6% return for a year for 25 years. Okay, 600 grand, we leave. Or are they going to go, oh, no, man, we, this is our property, man. Thanks for building this building here. And, you know, you got an $800,000 mortgage, but we, if you want to buy out, it's going to be $2 million. Oh, okay. So now we get the impression that the property is basically a real estate investment. It's not about souls and following the spirit and following God. It's purely, purely a financial real estate investment. So that's the cynical view. Hey, good morning. Good morning. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know what the answer is. I just stood up and said that. But the, howdy, buddy, the uh, music minister was, uh, <laughs> the music minister standing up in front of all of us said, well, well, Mike, that's impossible. It's going to be impossible to leave the denomination. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm looking on hindsight. I look back at that experience from last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was. And I'm like, oh, really? It's impossible. Okay, well, I've been going to this church for 25 years and I've been hearing quite frequently that nothing is impossible with God, right? And now I just learned, come on, but the minister, the you know seminary trained, really knows the wood, that the one thing that is impossible is leaving the denomination. <laughs> and I don't think he realizes how ironic that statement is. But that's what people do. It makes people make statements in an emotional situation. And I, I don't mind the guy. I'm, I'm just I'm kind of laughing at it myself. I don't, it's not, I'm not trying to argue with him. I'm just saying, isn't it funny, right? We, we for 25, 30 years, we're telling the world that nothing is impossible with God. But if you want to leave the denomination, oh my gosh, that's a whole other thing now, guys. That's a leaving the denomination. That is impossible. I mean, it might cost $2 million. It might cost $3 million. It might cost 4 but it's not impossible. And it may not be something we want to do. But it's a boat anchor around people. The denomination is a freaking boat anchor. So you can either call yourself Saddleback Church and be part of the Southern Baptist Convention and give money to the cooperative program and be Rick Warren and reverse tithe your profits from your book, which I will go on record that I will reverse tithe... All my profits from this book, which means I'm going to have to sell 10 million copies to get $1 profit because the cost, the investment that I've put into this book is 55 years of living on this planet. And that has cost me hundred thousand dollars a year so let's call it 5.5 million dollars I've invested in this book okay so until I sell 10 million copies then I'll start reverse tithing it okay so I'm on record I'm just like Rick Warren don't don't think I'm doing it for the money I'm not writing this book for the money it's not about the money <laughs> it's about the message, people, just like 
the message can't be, that's impossible, Mike. We can't leave the denomination. That's impossible. It's, you can't go to a church, a gathering of people, that's telling everyone, that, oh, nothing. Nothing is impossible with God. But wait a minute. Oh, wait. Oh. Leaving the denomination is impossible. So it, it puts people, it puts them in an ironic, ironic twist there. Because you can either leave the denomination at, let's say, 600000 which would be a reasonable return on the 200000 investment. Or you, they say, well, no, you guys can all leave if you want to vote to leave. And we'll put some new Southern Baptists, some, some really good Southern Baptists in here. And the irony is like, well, what have we had in here the last 25 years? You, you enjoyed our contribution to the cooperative program for 25 years. You've enjoyed that we planned out ourselves a new building and built it and are paying for it. But no, we're not, we're just not good enough. Southern Baptists. We're not good enough. So we're just going to, you guys want to leave? Go ahead. And I'm just saying, no, I don't want to leave. I just want to know what it would take to separate. Are you, are you in this for the real estate money? Because you're certainly not in it for the spiritual well-being of the community because the, this, this body of believers has been stagnant at like 400, 500 people for 25 years. There's not a, there's not a spirit of growth. So I guess we just have to, to leave, I guess. It's not what I want to do. I mean, I just, there's no perfect denomination. So anyway, I don't have the answer. I didn't, I, I told her, I said, I don't have the answer. I just want to know. Because knowing the answer to that question kind of gives us an indication of what are the priorities of the denomination? Is it having a, a foothold in Arizona with our wonderful, you know, important denominational structure and Baptist faith and message statement of faith 2000? Is that, you know, we believe so strongly in Baptist faith and message that it's the best and that, you know, no one could follow God without the Baptist faith and message. Yes, that's the, uh, that's kind of the message I'm getting from the folks. And especially if they say, oh, no, we, and, and then the alternative is like, okay, maybe it's all truistic that, you know, they have the guardians of truth with or contained within that Baptist faith and message 2000. The kernels of truth are buried in that, that, that document that's on the website. Yes, that's, that's what we worship. So if that's the message they want to give, then that's, that tells us something. And even if they want two or three million dollars to sell the property to us, well, that tells us that they were in it for the money the whole time, right? Plus, I'd like to negotiate it, but because if they want three million, I'd say, well, why do you want three million? I mean, like, we built the building here; we're paying the mortgage in the building. Let's let's just do a accounting of what we've contributed to the property's value increase and what you've done, which is nothing, a 
that sit on the property. And so, interesting revelation of the organized church in America. And it all started because the East Coast cultural Southern Baptist brought the radical book into my view. That was the spark. But the spark was always there. I was just ready. That, that kind of like threw kindling on the fire. <laughs> so we're almost home, folks. I don't know. I guess I'll publish this because I did it for me. I probably might offend people. I might piss people off, but they don't have to listen to it, right? No one has, no one's forcing you to listen to this stuff. And it's just me walking my dog, apparently full of slander, full of libel, which really I don't see it because those are the facts. I mean, that's the quotation. It's there. So I'm processing, I'm processing. I'm doing the edit in my head, getting ready. And then we'll have to edit on paper. And I'm sure it's not gonna be an easy, easy thing. But Bud enjoyed that. And now it's chore time, Saturday chores, but uh, but hey, I'm going to launch this up there because it's a podcast, one of a billion that goes out there, right? So, anywho, 50 minutes of joy you just had with your podcast host, walking buddy in the beautiful deserts of Arizona. Cheers, everyone.